Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode two of the Northern Lights. I'm delighted today to be joined by Sir Ian Powell, the ex-chairman of PwC, also a northerner now, and we'll be talking to him about his career and key advice for others. Ian, hello. It's really nice to, to, to be able to have this podcast with you, and thank you very much for joining us as one of our Northern Lights. Yeah, thanks very much, Armag, and thanks very much for inviting me as well. Ian, it'd be great to start the discussion by just understanding a bit about how you ended up in Manchester, because you originally grew up in Wolverhampton and the journey that you went on. And you've been here many years, so obviously we're, uh, we're doing something right to keep you here. Well, look, I'd be, I'd be delighted you're right. I originally come from the black country, from a small town between Dudley and Wolverhampton. And uh, yeah, I was brought up there, went to grammar school. Um, and you know, went to a polytechnic, actually, the Wolverhampton Polytechnic, to do a degree. I must admit, I hadn't really intended to go on to further education. Um, but, you know, the A-level results came through. They were pretty good. So I thought that uh, I thought I would. I thought I'd do economics. So um, did an economics degree, um, which I enjoyed, went well, and applied to uh, what was then, of course, the old PW in Birmingham and um, was delighted to get an offer from them. And so I joined uh, the Birmingham office uh, way back in 1977, long time ago, I'm <laughs> sure before many of the people that are probably listening to this were even born. Um, I always used to say to the graduates, so when I was doing the graduate welcome at PwC, you know, when I joined the firm, many of you weren't born. And now I sort of feel as though many of their parents weren't born as well. So it's a long, long time ago. So uh, yeah, I joined in 77 uh, in audit, qualified, uh, really enjoyed audit actually, and um, had some great clients, some great experience. Uh, had a brief spell in London, 89-90 as economist, uh, made partner in 91. And then we were moved uh, to Manchester office. And uh, we'd never really sort of, you know, um, lived anywhere other than Midlands, a little bit in London, as I said, but uh, came up to Manchester and uh, absolutely loved it. You know, we, we put our roots down deeply up here. We'd got three kids at the time. We've got four now and uh, all of them uh, were educated in Manchester. And, and when you joined PwC or PW all those years ago, um, what were your aspirations? Because you obviously have had an incredibly successful career at PwC, rising all the way to senior partner and chairman. But at that point when you joined, what, what were you looking forward to? Uh, I really wanted to get a professional qualification. Um, my, uh, my father was a teacher um, and they were, mum and dad were very sort of strong on education. And I kind of wanted to continue the education post degree but with something that um, would be a professional qualification for the future. So that's why I chose uh, Chartered Accountancy. Um, and of course, when you started looking around at sort of which firms you wanted to join, um, to me, there was a preeminent firm. And that's mm -hmm. why I was so happy to get the offer. But aspiration on the day I joined, I guess, number one, you know, was to, to get qualified as a Chartered Accountant. Number two, to get as much experience as I could of business. Um, and then after that, it was really down to, you know, do I enjoy the work? Do we enjoy the people? Um, and from then on, it was really just, um, you know, opportunities present themselves. And if you're well positioned for them and you're open to the challenges, 
I think a firm like PwC gives you every opportunity to grow inside the organization. So uh, it would be wrong of me. And I, I don't really believe people when they say, you know, I had a great career plan on the day that I started. I didn't. You know, I just wanted to do really interesting work with really good people and to continue to develop. And um, that, that's what I was looking to do. Yeah, and I agree with that latter point. I, I must admit, in my career, I've, I've always had a sense of what the next thing could be, but I could never tell someone what the life would be in two, two stages from now because the options you see in two years' time, they're just not visible today. You know, so. I, I, think, I think you're absolutely right, Omgun. And the other thing is that the one thing that uh, people never really take into account is actually I think there is an element of luck in this as well to be honest. And I think anybody that denies that is not being very truthful. Um, the reason that I say that is that, um, you know, when the opportunities present themselves, if you're well equipped to, to identify them and take them, you still need that, I, that opportunity to present itself. It's up to you then whether you take it. But I do think there's an element of the right opportunities appearing at the right time in your career and, uh, and being equipped to take them. Um, can I, can I, one of the things I'm, so if I, if I, if I think about, I mean, we, we've known each other a few years, so I hope you don't mind me asking this, but if, if I observe you, you're, you're, you're someone who's actually done really, really well. Um, and I suspect your starting point might have been similar to mine, right? Which is um, parents who are teachers, or at least one parent who's a teacher, wanting us to do well and kind of have a different life to the ones they led. Um, and use education as a vehicle for that. So, in a sense, I don't know if this is appropriate, but you know, you could be seen as um, uh, a really good case of social mobility, right? And you mentioned people within the firm that have really helped you on that journey. And I, I guess what would be really interesting to hear is, you know, the things you've learned before that. Let's say from your parents, how they still shape you today. Um, and how you reflect on that period, which actually is is quite it's a critically important period, because actually the things you do in that at that state, I always find that the things that one does, let's say, before one's twenties, can have quite a dramatic impact on on the options one has during one's twenties and 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 so on. So I'd be, I'd be really keen to hear how your parents set you up and the values and what are the things you reflect on now that's, that you still carry today? Yeah, that's, uh, that's really interesting. Um, both of them had got a very strong work ethic. Um, both of them um, were, uh, were guided by their, their morals, if you like. I think they always felt that it was important to do the right thing, um, uh, even if sometimes that wasn't the popular thing that it was the right thing to do. Um, and I always sort of felt that that was something that, uh, that was quite um, a strong theme that came through from them as parents. I think they expected you to have confidence, but to have confidence with humility, that um, really everybody uh, is equal. Um, and that the, um, the only reason that one person can do something really well is because other people are working with them and helping them. So I think there's a, there is definitely something there about that um, you treat people how you want to be treated. And, um, and that is probably the single strongest thing that I've always sort of felt 
right the way through everything that you do, whether you do it in your business life or your personal life. Um, and so that um, that is probably the single biggest um, sort of guiding light, I would say, that, that came from them. Um, other than that, you know, I think I had a pretty sort of normal upbringing. Um, like you, uh, social mobility, it's an interesting question. Um, I actually feel, and, you know, I don't know whether others feel this, but um, I think we were very lucky as a generation um, in that we had ready access to good education. We had grants to continue yeah. to additional education. Um, so if you, I'm not sure that my parents could have afforded to to pay uh, expensive fees, you know, to go to university or to poly or do a degree or whatever, you know. So that grant was, you know, that was a, that was quite a, a big step up, really. And then, you know, to come from a poly and get an offer from PWC, you know, I think was, was, was fantastic. I always felt that the firm was a meritocracy. Um, now, talking to people today, and uh, I still mentor quite a lot of people. I mean, there's a social mobility charity that I particularly spend quite a lot of time with. You know, I'm not sure that those opportunities are there quite the same way that they were, which which I find quite disappointing, really, when you think that, you know, we're looking back here for me, you know, sort of 40 odd years ago, nearly 50 years ago, and yet that opportunity was there for me. Is it there today? And I know Kevin feels really strongly on this as well. It's something that Kevin and I, you know, when, when I was senior partner and Kevin was managing partner, we really drove the social mobility agenda because I think it's really, really important that we get access to the very best people, regardless yeah. of the background that they come from. And, and just to clarify, you're referring to Kevin Ellis, the current senior partner and chairman of PwC. I am, yeah. Sorry, Kevin Ellis, um, uh, chairman and senior partner that uh, that followed on from me. You, you've mentioned uh, humility and authenticity a, a few times on this call. And to my mind, those are two characteristics I've seen a lot in you. Um, certainly my interactions with you over the years and other people have commented on it. And one of the quotes that I, I know you've you've publicized and talked to, there's a couple, there's a couple of uh, Ian Powell quotes. One is do the right thing. And the other one is, you know, be yourself with, with more skill. And I know the latter one increasingly, you know, you've worked very closely with Gareth Jones, who very unfortunately had a, an accident and passed away towards the end of the last year. Now, I never met him, but I know you worked a lot with him. Could you talk to authenticity, but also how you work with Gareth and why that was important? And I have one final data point, and you may or may not remember this, but when you were leaving the uh, uh, senior partner chairman role and you were leaving the firm to in due course, you know, take on the role at Capita, I came to see you and I, and we had a half an hour um, just before you left. And one of the things I said to you, you know, what would you recommend, you know, in terms of uh, leadership and we'll come on to leadership separately. But one of the things you said was, you know, read the Gareth Jones books, you know, yeah. uh, why should anybody be led by you? So so he's cropping up a few times and I, and I know he's, he was very close to you. So could you talk about authenticity and Gareth Jones and how you then, utilize that in your own leadership style it's really sad that we lost gareth so young and it's tragic he'd still got a massive contribution and he was a he was a good friend to so many people inside pwc and influenced um, the firm and the direction of the firm as well especially um, the organizational behavioral side of the 
development work that we did. Um, I first met him, um, the firm sent me to an advanced management program, uh, I think it was 98, and uh, Gareth at INSEAD, and Gareth was one of the visiting professors, and he was, he was excellent. Um, he was uh, doing basically behavioral change, organizational behavior, um, really almost like business psychology as well, actually. And uh, I remember sitting in the audience and thinking, this is really interesting. This guy's really good. I, you know, I wonder if it works in practice. Um, and then when I was put in charge of um, a part of the organization, I thought that uh, let's go back to Gareth Jones to see if he can help us bring together this team because it was quite a disparate group of people. And let's see if we can really sort of talk about sort of the behaviors of the organization. And, um, and we did, and we, we met with Gareth, uh, there was myself, Kevin Ellis, and uh, a former partner called Roger Thomas. And we designed a program with him and we worked with him for, for many years inside business recovery services. And then he, he actually did some work further and further afield inside the firm. Uh, I remember us going to Arizona once actually for a global leadership uh, meeting where um, Gareth and, and I were speakers there as well. Um, and one of the key things that he did, you referred to it, was this book, you know, Why Should Anyone Be Led By You? And what I always liked about that book is that's about you as an individual. It's about your skills, understanding yourself better. And you write the phrase, I think the phrase that Gareth uses, be yourself more with skill. Um, so it's having that understanding of, you know, what, what you're good at, what you're not so good at. And, and really how you develop as a person and as a leader. And I thought that was much better than those books where, you know, you read about someone like, you know, Jack Welsh, you know, do it the Jack Welsh way. Well, you know, even Jack Welsh couldn't do it the Jack Welsh way today because it's a different world. So I thought it was a very practical approach that, uh, that Gareth uh, used. And I still recommend that book to people now, actually. I do quite a lot of mentoring and still recommend that book. Um, and then, you know, for you as an individual, you know, it goes right to the heart of authenticity. It goes into how you um, can interact socially. How do you keep social distance as a leader so that you are distant enough that you can still be objective, but actually you are still close enough to the team? And it particularly focuses on behaviors. And I think, you know, if there's one thing that the firm has been brilliant at over the last sort of 15 years. Um, it is the way that, that the organization behaves. It recognizes its role in society, the contribution it, it makes. And a lot of that stems from those, those thoughts about, um, you know, how do you deliver a strategy through behaviors? And you deliver a strategy by thousands and thousands of little tiny interactions every day, both internally and externally. And, and those have to be authentic interactions. And if you can embed that with great people in a firm like PwC, that, that becomes pretty insurmountable. I mean, you are totally, um, you know, you are an organization that people aspire to be and to look up to. And, uh, and I, I think that's what the firm has done over mm -hmm. recent years. And could you give us an example of a small thing that actually impacts authenticity and leadership that, that you've utilized or, or learnt is really valuable? Well, again, you know, it just comes down to this idea of 
treating everybody how you'd like to be treated. You know, I always remember, you know, uh, when you're chairman and senior partner and you get in a lift at um, Embankment Place, the lift instantly went quiet, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and therefore, you know, it's incumbent on you to talk to people in the lift. And as soon as you start talking to people, people start talking and it, you know, it all becomes very natural. But, you know, it's just little things really that, you know, show that, you know, you are there as part of the team and that, um, and that the leadership is approachable and that the leadership can be, can be spoken to. People have a view, have a voice, you know, and um, those kind of things. Um, and then the other side of it, I guess, is that it's just those little behaviors. You know, everybody in any leadership position, no matter if you're leading a team of five, if you're leading a team of 20,000 or 250,000 or whatever, everybody watches the behaviors all the time. And uh, I know I've used it before. I mean, still one of the best quotes that I ever, um, I wish I could remember the CEO that said it, but one of the best quotes I ever heard was, uh, a CEO said that uh, every day they try to communicate the behaviors that they expect inside their organization. And some days they even use words, you know, and I think that kind of says it all, you know, people, people are watching all the time how you behave and how you treat each other. And, and I think that just multiplies when you've got so many thousand people doing it well and doing it properly yeah. and it becomes incredibly powerful. And and I, I guess Ian, there's there's different types of leadership style, and you've referred to one or two there in 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 what you've just said. But ultimately, I guess the goal is to get followership. Um, and is there anything in that that people should take away? I mean, we we've talked about a range of things here, but if we're doing all of that, and we're not getting followership, then that's kind of not really leadership. Yeah, that's that's true, um, and and therefore you you need to, to engage. I mean, and you know, I'm sure you you've seen it over the years. You go to a conference and you'll see someone who stands up on stage, and you know within thirty seconds whether they're authentic or not. Um, and th that sort of almost subliminal authenticity check that you've just made defines your engagement with them for the time that you're sat listening to them. But I think it goes much deeper than that because um, everybody talks about tone from the top in organizations and it is really important. You do need the leadership, the visible leadership to exhibit what needs to be done and the, and the way that things need to be done. But I also believe that tone from the middle is really important uh, because you know it's it's people that run teams on a day-to-day -day basis that everybody interacts with, that they take their leadership from, not just somebody who they see on a video or on a, a platform somewhere at mm -hmm. some point. You know, it's that day-to-day -day experience. So if you really are going to change organizations and you are going to embed the values and the culture that you want, then you've really got to engage with the, the whole organization, not just, you know, expect somebody to say something and it just washes right through, right the way through. So I think there is something about how do you engage at all those different levels. And the only way you can do it is by incredibly consistent and regular engagement communication. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, that's 
I mean, there's some great sort of uh, bites of information there for, for people to take away. Um, w one of the things I guess I've seen over the years is whenever I've had roles which have been really tough, right, but either mentally or physically, you know, uh, especially leadership roles, um, I've learned the most from them. And sometimes, I mean, it, it, it's, it's genuinely some of the, the biggest mistakes I've made I've had the biggest learnings from and in hindsight I'm really pleased that I went through that journey although when I was in that journey I wish it wasn't happening to me yeah. <laughs> if you see what I mean right yeah. are, are, there, are there any cases where you've done something or been involved in something in a leadership role that actually didn't quite go the way you wanted but in hindsight it gave you such an insight and a learning that that you that you display that and you and you really value that experience although it was uncomfortable for you personally yeah look i think you're right i think you do learn so much more when things are difficult rather than when things go incredibly well um uh, i think you know from a, a career development perspective i've always found ultimately it's the challenges the ones that your know, career decisions that were the hardest to take that actually turn out to be the most rewarding in terms of the experience that you get and what you learn. But yeah, there's one that really sticks out in my mind. Uh, I was a young, well, I was a senior manager and I was due to be considered for a partnership promotion. Um, and uh, we were out on, a, on a, an insolvency job and um, uh, no fault of our own at all, but we ended up writing out to a whole load of um, of uh, customers of a, a company that had been bought out of this group um, a few months before. And as you would imagine, um, that is really quite difficult for the person who's bought that company, who suddenly realizes that, you know, their customers think that they might be in financial difficulty. So um, it was brought to our attention pretty quickly. Uh, but there was always the risk of a case, a legal case at that point. Mm -hmm. there, there was no legal case in the end because I think we handled it really well. We apologized and we corrected it very, very quickly. But um, I, it was interesting that the most senior person on that particular job basically um, said, right, you know, you guys have made this problem. It's nothing to do with me. You, you're going to have to sort it out. And I remember thinking at the time that, you know, that's not a particularly helpful sign of leadership. Um, and uh, and I was quite worried about it, obviously. You know, we didn't know whether there was going to be a legal case or not. You, you kind of come in through towards, you know, a promotion and you worry, you know, I wonder what the implications will be. And on the Saturday morning, my phone rang and it was the then... Uh, head of the business recovery uh, practice, um, very senior partner in the organization. And uh, he said, um, he said to me, Ian, he said, uh, I've heard about this situation that you've got. Um, he said, but I just want to tell you that everybody makes mistakes at some point. It's how you deal with them that really matters. And uh, you've got my full support. If anything I can do to help you to manage this situation or any advice that I can give, you just got to call me. And, uh, uh, you know, I'll never forget that, you know, yeah. that, yeah. that meant the difference between 
having a weekend where you just concentrated on the positive of sorting out the issue rather than just worrying, you know, what are the implications of all of this? And there was, there was no reason why someone so senior yeah. would pick the phone up on a Saturday morning just to basically put your mind at rest. Um, and, and I thought then, yeah, that's real leadership. You know, that, that is understanding what somebody's going through and doing what they could to try to, to help, not being soft and not saying, look, you know, yeah. don't worry, it's not a problem. Say it is a problem, but we'll sort it. And, you know, yeah. that, that for me was a big sort of learning lesson. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's interesting. We, you know, we've we've touched on indirectly on culture and the culture that leadership generates is something that can permeate throughout the whole organisation. So that one intervention or interventions like that have a dramatic impact on all of the people working in an organisation and how they interact. So, so I mean, that's, I don't know who you're talking about, but that's a splendid. Um, same splendid case study or example of that. Yeah. Um, you know, I've only got a, a few more questions actually. Yep. Uh, I don't know if I don't know if you see this in your current role as as chair at Capita, but the, the, there's a, there's a whole narrative or discussion going on around purpose, right? Mm -hmm. What is the purpose of business in the current environment? In a sense, you know, you've got this phrase which still resonates with me, which is doing the right thing, right? Mm -hmm. But when you think about purpose in the current environment and the balance between um shareholder value community people uh the environment how, how are you thinking about that in today's environment and i guess you know people have used terms instead of shareholder value they use terms like shared value you know which mm -hmm. is much broader than the, the old classical um i don't know chicago business school um approach to sh solely shareholder value um where are you? Where do you stand on that, and where do you think business is going? Uh, yeah. Um, well, the first thing I'd say is I think that you know PwC was onto this a long, long time ago, and when I look back now, having left PwC and coming out and talking to lots of other chairmen, lots of other CEOs of PLCs, you know, I think we were kind of light years ahead, really, to be honest, in terms of being a purpose-led organization, and particularly on an international basis. So um, I think that that I carried with me out into kind of industry. And, you know, I mean, the capital job has been about as opposite a job that you could imagine um, to the PwC job. There's been a huge amount of cultural change that's been required in this organization. Um, but one of the first things that, uh, that I did when I got there um, was that we, we did look at what is the purpose of this organization? What is it for? And concluded pretty quickly that actually an organization like that should know where it, uh, what contribution it makes to solving important issues for society. I mean, it's got millions and millions of customers on a day-to-day -day basis. And it didn't really seem to appreciate that that was the crucial element of what it needed to do. It did with the new leadership team that, that came in. They've been completely focused on that. And I think you can start, start to see the, the benefits of change in a reputational, uh, reputational development. Um, but the other thing is there's, um, there's an organization called um, Blueprint, for, Blueprint for Business, and it's about ethical business. And they approached me and asked if I'd um, 
uh, lead a discussion on purpose in PLCs. And so we got a small group of people together and we talked a lot about purpose. And then we actually put out a paper, uh, which is on Blueprint's website, which is really saying to PLC boards, this is, these are the sort of issues and questions you should be asking around the leadership and the purpose of the organizations that you're set on boards on. And I think, you know, you need boards to challenge a lot more about whether or not the purpose that people set out is no more than a marketing strapline, or it really goes to the heart of what this organization is for and the way that you would um, bring out the values and behaviors that you would expect to achieve that purpose. Mm -hmm. So I think it's more important than ever. Um, I think that, you know, purpose um, to be relevant today has got to recognize the contribution to society. And I use society in its widest sense, you know, that society, the contribution to society that the organization that you're leading and working for is making. And I think that's what people want today. They want to know that the organizations that they're involved with are going to make a positive difference to the communities that they live and work in. Do you think everybody gets that, Ian? Where are we on that? If, if you look around the people you meet and the breadth of conversations you have, I, I get the blueprint point. I, I quite like what you said, which was there's the sort of given voice to it and then there's giving value and heart to it, right, if, effectively. Mm -hmm. do, do you think we're, we've crossed that line as, as a society and as a, as a community of business leaders? I think um, not everybody. You know, I mean, uh, I'll sit in on, you know, chairman discussion groups where you you hear discussions and you wonder whether or not, you know, people are really engaging in this, um, in the purpose debate in that particular organization. But I'd say that the majority of people now do get it. And I think even the ones who might be cynical about whether or not, you know, does purpose really matter, they're, they're having to get it because their workforce is telling them this really matters. Their customers are telling them it really matters. Their investors, importantly, their investors are now starting to tell them it really matters. And then you've got the regulators who also are saying that this is pretty key, pretty crucial. But um, I was on a, a, a last last night, which uh, where are we? We're in the middle of or towards the end of March now. Last night, I was on a, uh, a chairman's discussion session, um, and there was a long discussion around um, the, the role of investors in ESG. And that it was, if you listen to some of the senior investors that were there as well, you know, they're going to drive this pretty hard. And if an organization doesn't listen to um, what is being expected of them in terms of their overall purpose, to community, to society, they're in two, three, four, five years time, they're going to be under a lot of pressure because there are so many different forces now being brought to bear. It's not just a nice to have that you ought yeah. to, who we ought to talk about our purpose. It is now much deeper than that. And, uh, yeah. and I think because everybody's pushing in the same direction, then yeah. you, yeah. you, you are starting to see the change. Yeah. And I, and I wholeheartedly agree with you. I, I, I think it'll be, it can define 
people's leadership style and the breadth of in a sense it's a bit like doing the right thing but in across all the dimensions of an organization its clients its communities its uh, regulators and so forth yeah um, yeah no i really like that um i've got two really quick questions to finish us off one is um ian how do you keep fit and healthy both mentally and physically and you know, is there a, is there a routine you have in the morning that sets you up really nicely, or do you have some tricks or things you do that over the years you've just found work for you? Um, well, it's a good question. I don't think I'm as fit as I <laughs> used to be, but then you know, I think um, some people have come through the lockdown, COVID, come out super fit. Uh, Others have come out just, you know, exhausted from sitting in front of screens for a long time. Yeah. I guess I'm somewhere between the two. Um, yeah. But w certainly when I was doing the, the PwC job, one of the key things, um, I had a personal trainer from when I was about late 40s. And um, whilst I don't have a personal trainer anymore, a lot of that discipline that you were taught, you actually do apply. Uh, I don't apply it as rigorously as I would if there was a personal trainer stood over me, to be honest. Um, I mean, you try to sort of live some sort of balanced lifestyle, but I think you need to kind of enjoy yourself as well. I mean, you know, and the, I think the key thing for me is variety. And I suppose that's what all of us have missed out on a little bit in lockdown. We haven't got the variety that we've had before. And that variety, actually, even though it might be exhausting, the variety is kind of just gives you completely, you know, it relaxes different parts of your brain, I think, whilst you're, yeah. you're doing different things. So, yeah, variety is pretty important. And then just generally trying to be sensible, to be honest, without being too disciplined that you don't enjoy yourself at all. Can you share one thing you do that really relaxes you, that, that you know, just gets you into a really good place, whether you've had a tough day or, a, or an easy day? Reading. I mean, um, I don't know what everybody else does, but from when I was a little kid, you know, <laughs> bearing in mind there wasn't much else to do when I was a little kid. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, you used to stop at a certain <laughs> time, didn't it? And you it only did. had, was it two panels? <laughs> it was two, two, two channels and the screen was about the size of a phone, you know. Yeah. So, um, so, so, yeah, there wasn't a lot to do. So there's a lot, you know, reading was always pretty important. And I always read about... 10 15 minutes between when i go to bed and when i go to sleep and somehow that just seems to give me that break you know mm -hmm. so even in the most intense pressure situations when i was doing the pwc job that that was enough to just give me the break and then i just literally sleep through anything you know and then sort of back into it the next day um so you know for me it was reading for other people something that is that break and it's for yourself. That's the nice thing about reading, I think, is it's, it only you can do it. And it gives you and your brain that break mm -hmm. between what you've been worried about and working on, et cetera, all day and what's coming tomorrow. But actually, it gives you that sort of window to just sort of clear it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we're seeing a lot of people walking these days. We're seeing people sort of try and do different things to to break the continuum because otherwise it feels a bit groundhog yeah wells and we can sort of blend into the others um my final question ian is you've you've led a, a you know pretty amazing career from someone who started in wolverhampton's gone through various roles um and you know now is actually heading up a fairly large 
organization as well. Um, and the chair role is very different to a CEO role. So, you know, the level of influence and the things you're doing are, are, are sort of a different level again. Um, so for someone who's just starting out, if we go all the way back there and then we sort of cycle forward to now, mm-hmm. um, what are the tips you'd share that you think people should, young people starting their career now that they should focus on and it will have a disproportionate impact on them? Okay, I mean, kind of a few things really. One, I think whatever job you're asked to do at that moment in time, even if it's might feel, you know, menial or it might be something routine, always try to do it to the very best of your ability because people notice you know even if it's if it's a pretty straightforward thing to do if you do it really really well people do notice that um i think um having intellectual curiosity is it kind of keeps you really fresh and if you can see interest in virtually anything that you have to do i think you enjoy it more as well so i think intellectual curiosity and then the other big one for me is positivity and just energy. You know, I mean, I think if you, uh, you I mean, we've all worked with people, haven't we, where, you know, you sat um, and you catch a reflection in the window and somebody comes into the room and, you know, you just know it's going to be a difficult conversation and the energy level drops and it's an issue. It's a, they bring a problem. And then there are other people that come into the room that have got the same problem probably but it's an uplifting experience they come with a positive attitude and they come with a suggestion it might be the wrong suggestion but it doesn't matter they've come with a thought an idea and something positive and you can draw energy from that and you can have a discussion a debate you can solve the issue whatever the issue is so i'd say you know jointly that idea of intellectual curiosity and positivity is uh, is huge i think it's great for you as an individual to be honest in terms of how you feel what your mindset is but it's really great as well for your career because i think people love having people around them that have got those two key attributes i'm sure there's loads of other attributes but for me that was always what i thought was you know that's what sets people apart yeah, I mean, I, I can't agree with you more. I mean, the, the other thing that I've always found incredibly helpful is uh, a bit like one of the things you're saying there, which is a hunger for learning. So it, it, it could yeah. be characterized as curiosity or it could be, uh, you know, what I'm really going to understand this. And then, yeah. you know, I may move on to something else, but I'm really going to understand this, not just the, the technical aspects. It's interesting when I look at my career, I, I've always thought I've gone through a phase where I was trying to get technical technically solid then i went into a phase where i was learning about management which is how do we work with people and then the third phase is how do you then move into leadership you know how do you then lead people and i always find the difference you know a lot of the things you've talked about become more important as one goes through so things like followership authenticity humility thinking about other people as you as you go through these phases I've, i've always found they become the softer things become even more important and actually the technical things kind of go away a bit you know they just they just go within you um well experience takes over as well to a degree um i I always used to feel that you know the more senior you get you can add more value in a shorter and shorter period of time you know true so you know when you're uh, young and you're learning and you're writing reports, yeah, it takes a long time to get reports sorted and 
read and you know um, and distributed etc and do all those things but actually you shouldn't be doing that you know when you're you know you've done 20 years experience you shouldn't be doing that how are people going to learn how to do it if you're still doing it what you should be doing is looking at it and spotting that one technical point or that one sort of nuanced point that could actually mean that the firm doesn't get sued for 100 million quid or or it, it really makes a huge value to yeah. to the client that you're working on. So your intervention, I think, gets more and more valuable, but it also gets shorter and shorter. I remember once again, I was drafting a report and I showed it. This is uh, I showed it to my boss, the, the partner at the time, and he looked at me and he says, uh, I can tell you, you don't like the numbers in this report. And I said, well, hang about, how can you tell that? He says, because you put daft results instead of draft results. <laughs> yeah. Ian, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on this uh, podcast. And uh, thank you for being so open uh, with your thinking and your career to date. Um, I'm sure there's lots of really valuable, interesting things that many people will take from this podcast. Thank you. And I wish you all the best. Thanks, Armageddon. And uh, thank you very much um, for, for doing this. I've really enjoyed it. Um, and all the best to you um in, you. in your new role as well i mean uh, it's pretty exciting times so you know all the best Definitely. to you and and Definitely. to the firm thank you very much ian look after yourself all the best my friend cheers bye-bye thank you very much everyone for for listening um it's a real privilege to have the opportunity to meet our northern lights um and i'm looking forward to sharing more of these with you in the future uh, please do subscribe and please do give a rating to this podcast uh, in the meantime keep well and i'll hopefully see you soon